Hey guys, welcome back from our kind of short holiday hiatus. Just wanted to let you know that we are doing some changes to the show. You're still going to be getting your same awesome naming information, but we're going to change the format a little bit so that the episodes are a little bit shorter and more concise, and they will be dropping weekly instead of bi-monthly. So stay tuned because we got lots of really cool naming stuff coming your way. Hello and welcome back to Moniker, the histories and mysteries of names. The show that's not just a name, it's a lifestyle. You've got the longest hair ever. Totally hot, totally cool, totally hair Barbie. Today we will be talking about America's favorite doll, Barbie. The doll that's 11 inches of fun and, let's face it, a lot of baggage. The story of Barbie begins in the late 1940s, when Ruth and Elliot Handler founded the Mattel Company in California. They started as a company that made picture frames, but eventually branched out into toys when Elliot started selling doll furniture he made from discarded frame pieces. By the 1950s, Mattel had become a toy-making powerhouse. Their success can be attributed to many factors, including their unique products, like the first toy ukulele, the yukadoodle, their use of Japanese manufacturing to cut down on production costs, and a lucrative toy licensing deal they struck with the Mickey Mouse Club. So several innovations that are pretty common in today's world, but they were some of the first to do them. The handlers, in general, seem to have a talent for identifying what ideas or innovations other companies were missing out on. They were keenly aware of what kind of toys kids wanted to play with and what gaps they could fill in those markets. At this time, if girls played with dolls who looked like adults, they were paper dolls. Otherwise, they played almost exclusively with baby dolls. Ruth was watching her daughter Barbara play with paper dolls and hit on the idea of a teen fashion doll with lots of glamorous clothes and accessories. Girls wouldn't be limited to just playing mommy. They could play out all sorts of fantasies of their grown-up selves. The design for Ruth's teen fashion doll comes from a German adult novelty doll that was kind of like a blonde bimbo that the family saw when they were on vacation in Europe. This German doll, the Bild Lili it was called, was based on a character from a comic strip in a German newspaper, and she was kind of like a Betty Boop sort of character. Anyway, the doll was given as a gag gift to adults and, you know, decidedly not for children. Basically, if it was sold today, you would find it at Spencer's. But Ruth was convinced that this would be the kind of doll that kids would want to play with. And in 1959, at a toy convention in New York City, Mattel debuted Barbie. At first, retailers were skeptical about whether or not kids would go for it. Would little girls really swap their Betsy Wetsies for this booby 11 and a half inch adult? It took some time, but thanks to Mattel's marketing savvy, the answer, after a few months, was a resounding heck yes. Barbie dolls flew off the shelves that summer, and the tidal wave of ensuing products were giving kids and parents more and more reasons to buy. Products like Barbie clothes, Barbie cars, Barbie dream houses, Barbie's boyfriend Ken, brunette Barbie, Barbie's sisters, Barbie's friends. 
Barbie's endless possibilities and her equally endless selection of accessories and paraphernalia made her a toy that felt eternally fresh and modern. There was always a new career she could have and the corresponding plastic crap that went with it. It's probably why Barbie has remained one of the most popular toys even after 60-odd years on the market. What's funny is that Barbie's consumerist and materialistic image was intended by Ruth to actually be proto-feminist. In her autobiography, Ruth wrote about how she wanted girls to use Barbie as a way to dream about being anything they wanted to be. She saw it as a way to expand women's horizons beyond just wife and motherhood. Ah, feminism and capitalism. Always such interesting bedfellows. But how did Ruth settle on the name Barbie for her creation? Various biographies point out that Ruth wanted Barbie to have an all-American, girl-next-door kind of image. She was from a small town in Wisconsin. She loved the beach. She was the spunky and wholesome young woman girls wanted to be. Since Ruth was originally inspired to create a grown-up doll by watching her daughter Barbara play with paper dolls, she tweaked her daughter's name, Barbara Millicent Handler, to get Barbie Millicent Roberts. Ruth has been quoted as saying, quote, If it hadn't been for Barbie, I would have never come up with the idea for the doll, end quote. It seems like she went with Barbie rather than Barbara because it was the spunkier version of her daughter's name. Although, interestingly, while Ruth talked about Barbie being named after her daughter, the family didn't really call her Barbie that often, especially as she got older. In a 1989 L.A. Times interview, Barbara Handler Siegel stated, quote, I was usually called Barbara, but I had all different nicknames, Babsy, Bobsy, and Barbie, end quote. Just think, we could have had Malibu Babsy. But what was it like for Barbara to grow up knowing that her mother's really famous creation was named after her? Well, Barbara mostly ignored the Barbie fever that ensued after her parents released the doll, mostly because she was already 16 at the time, so she was well beyond the target demographic. She did, however, really hate when people referred to her as the real-life Barbie and had spent years trying to distance herself from any comparisons. In a 2007 interview with Oprah, Barbara recalled how overwhelmed she felt at the attention she received from being the namesake of the doll. Quote, I didn't know it hit me. Everybody was asking, oh, you're the real Barbie doll? And I said, I am the name behind it, but I'm not the doll, you know. It was never made to look like me. End quote. Barbara enjoyed the wealth that came with Barbie, but part of the price of that lifestyle was things like, Having people at parties call her the real-life Barbie. Barbara stated that she used to leave the room when that kind of thing happened, but now she just tries to grin and bear it. Barbara's brother, Ken, had a similarly tough time living in the shadow of their parents' creation. I'm sure you can guess why. But some of the reasons he gave in the interview for LA Times were the fact that people were disappointed that he wasn't this Malibu surfer guy. He was just a nerd who liked foreign movies. (laughs) Plus, it was incredibly awkward for both siblings to have people ask them if they were dating or if they were married because they happened to be named after the most famous romantic couple of the toy world. 
Thanks a lot, Mom and Dad. In any case, it seems like it was easier for both Barbara and Ken to kind of shake off the image of Barbie and Ken as they got older, because the dolls are stuck in perpetual youth, whereas they are allowed to age. So it's like, oh, of course you don't like Ken. Ken is 20. You're 50. So it was a little bit easier for both of them when they got older. In recent interviews, Barbara, along with her daughter Cheryl, speak in glowing terms about Barbie as a vehicle for girls' imaginations and also about Ruth Handler's profound legacy on culture. The name Barbie meant canvas for girls' dreams to Ruth Handler and complicated namesake I have to deal with to Barbara. What does Barbie mean to us? Now, I'm not going to get into much sociological territory here about stuff like Barbie's influence on American consumer culture, good or bad, or Barbie's influence on feminism, Barbie's influence on body image, because honestly, a lot of that's been done and done by better people than me. But what I'm interested in right now is the use of her name linguistically. The word Barbie has almost become what is known as a proprietary eponym. That's when a brand becomes so ubiquitous, it becomes shorthand for the product itself. Think Kleenex or Jacuzzi or how Southern people ask for a Coke when they want to Sprite. Barbie as proprietary eponym seems to occur most often during play. Kids ask each other, let's go play Barbies, even if they aren't playing exclusively with Barbies or if they're just playing with dolls that are basically Barbie-sized. They play Barbies. Also, when kids have more than one Barbie doll in play, they have to decide if one of the dolls is going to be the real Barbie and the other Barbies have different names, or if they're all Barbies, except this Barbie is named Sparkle Fairy and this Barbie is named Dance Queen. The term evolves from being an individual to essentially a species. In the grown-up world, Barbie went through kind of a derogatory evolution, particularly in the 90s and early 2000s. Referring to someone as a Barbie meant that they were shallow, bimbo, stupid, or were fake. In a segment from On the Media, one of the presenters coined the phrase proprietary perginim to describe this phenomenon. Essentially, a brand name is used as an insult. I think about how the trailer for Legally Blonde 2, she's all dressed up like Jackie Kennedy, and the guy's like, oh, it's capital Barbie. And clearly, we're supposed to see that she has all style and no substance. The pejorative use of Barbie probably reached its peak in 1997 when Swedish group Aqua released their insanely popular single, Barbie Girl. The song portrays the eponymous Barbie Girl as submissive, vacuous, and a plaything for men's desires. Mattel was not amused and filed a defamation and copyright lawsuit against the group's record label. However, the case was thrown out in 2002, and the judge literally said the parties are advised to chill. Wild. There wasn't much fuss about the song or its smearing of Barbie's image after the verdict. The slang use of Barbie has mostly fizzled out in recent years. The closest recent equivalent I can think of is basic. We can probably thank the rise of feminist discourse for killing some of the negative female stereotypes like the bimbo Barbie girl. It's also probably because Barbie is one of the few dolls on the market today to have any substance. Pretty much any job a girl could want, 
they can find a Barbie with that job. Can the same be said for the brats? No, ma'am. The only dolls that have more substance are the American Girl dolls, and they don't count because Eliza May lived through the potato famine or something. It's a whole different ballgame. Anyway, hopefully we will continue to use the term Barbie less and less as a weapon against women and just as a fun toy for kids to play astronaut sushi chef with. So, go play Barbies. That's what I say. If you want to learn more about Barbie or the Handlers, you could read Ruth Handler's autobiography or even Barbara Handler's autobiography. Those are both good reads. And I'll have lots of links in the show notes to articles and books that could be helpful for you. Thank you for joining me today on Moniker, the histories and mysteries of names. If you have a name you'd like featured on the podcast, email me at monikerpod at gmail.com. Until next time, farewell!